If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This is the word of the Lord. Well, welcome uh, to Jubilee Church. Uh, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting, my name is Brian Mowry, uh, the lead pastor here. And it is an absolute honor to, to be with you. And if you're new to us, you picked an amazing time uh, to, to come check us out because we are in a season, a 21-day season of, of prayer and fasting. And, and that's why... Um, we're a little bit more uh, hyped than normal, a little bit more amped up than normal. Uh, we're, we're a little skinnier, a little, little hungrier, uh, but man, we are fired up, man. We are, we are fired up. And that's why I'm, I'm preaching today with a handheld microphone. I don't want some thing around my face constricting me. I want, I want a handheld mic because, man, we're fired up. So you're in a good season. And uh, I, I just love our church for taking this so seriously. I love the passion. I love uh, the care. And I, I love the love uh, and passion for God. And you know, we've got resources to help you. In fact, we even have some out here uh, on to my uh, right and, and, and my left. And uh, there's resources that you can get to help you know how to pray. Things are happening. Uh, God's changing people, not just Tommy, but many others. And I just want to encourage you, if you haven't had an opportunity to check it out yet, tomorrow's day six. There's plenty of time to get in. And if you haven't checked it out, I want to encourage you to do that, especially if you're intimidated by it. Like if you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't know about... You know, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, no, man, we are nice people. Like, we are, like, we're, we're nice, nice, really nice people. And that's, but secondly, we want to help you know how to pray. But also, I just want to encourage you. There, there's a reason why you're intimidated to pray. There's a reason why you're not intimidated to be here. There's a reason why you're not intimidated to go to community group. There is a reason why you're intimidated to come to pray. And I just encourage you to, like, think about that for a little bit, because you have, you, you know, I, I don't know if you want to know, you have an enemy, you have a couple enemies. One is the, the, the you know, Diablo, the, the El Diablo, the devil. He is your, he doesn't want you to do it. He wants to scare you, fear you. He wants to keep you from doing this. Second thing, you have an enemy, it's called, um, it's called your flesh. Now, the, the Bible uses that. It's not talking about your skin, right? It's talking about that natural part of you. You see, you have a mind, but you also have a mindset. You have, you have uh, desires and emotions, and when you become a Christian, God, God does an amazing thing. He says, you become a new creation. Now, that new creation part is, is he takes away the penalty of sin. Like, he removes the penalty of sin. And he gives you a new creation. And so he's dealt with your past. But uh, how many of you know that you're still, like, in a mess? Like, you've got there's your, your present and your future has got something, needs help. And so, and so your spirit inside of you is the eternal part of you. Is, is a new creation. And now that part wants to seek after God. That part wants to know God better. But your flesh, your desires, and your 
mindset and those kinds of things, they still need some working on and, and they're going to lead you. And so the Bible says, this is a summary of what you can read, is that, that we, we can be led by our, the spirit inside of us or we can be led by the flesh. And so the, the devil and your flesh do not want to participate. So you're intimidated. I just want to encourage you to like stand. You could take a little, if you, I don't know if you, but you're scared by the, the term spiritual warfare. Whether you're scared by it or not, you're in it. And, and you can actually take a stand by just saying, hey, I'm going to come check this out. So I want to encourage you to do that. And if you really can't make it, we do live stream these things Monday through Friday on YouTube. And as an added bonus, we are reading through the entire, we are publicly reading through the entire Bible in this 21 days. Isn't that awesome? In fact, I want to do this. We have some amazing volunteers. If you're participating in reading the Bible over these 21 days publicly, would you stand? We just want to thank you for, for taking the time to do this. Would you stand? Come on, stand up. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and because we are in the season of prayer and fasting, we are in a series called uh, Dangerous Prayers. And um, uh, these are prayers that are not safe and, and maybe prayers that we avoid praying. Um, if we're honest, we, we pray a lot of bless me prayers. I mean, if you're not, you don't even believe in God. You, you pray bless me prayer, you know, bless this, bless that, help me with this and help me with that. And those are good. But there, there are prayers in the Bible. When you read about the, 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 the men and women who like went the furthest, um, the, man, they pray these dangerous prayers and they are dangerous. They're a little scary on the front end. It feels like you're standing on the edge of a cliff, but they are loaded with upside. And we said last week, man, we don't want to be the church. It's, we're not playing games. Like we really want the real thing. So we're we want the real God to, uh, to transform us. We want to encounter the real God. Like, we, we want the real thing. So we want to go for it. So we're going we're to learn about these uh, dangerous prayers. And so last week, we looked at the, the very dangerous prayer, search me. God, would you look inside of me? According to Psalm 139, David prayed this prayer. We look inside of me as if there's any grievous way, anything that's in there that shouldn't be in there, anything that's wrong that you went out. And to pray that prayer is to, is to admit that my greatest problems are not outside of me, they're actually inside of me. And I need God to come and point out what that is and why it is, and most importantly, like to empower me and help me to get rid of it, which he desperately, desperately wants today to do. And today we're gonna look at the dangerous prayer, thy will be done, thy will be done. Now this is a huge tension uh, for us because by and large, we believe that the more free we are to make our own choices, the better off we'll be. I mean, it's embedded in our you know, constitution, and, but Jesus taught us the very opposite. He taught us the more you lay down your freedoms and submit your will to God's will, the better off you'll be and you'll be more free from that which, which truly enslaves you. And he didn't say this perched on his throne in a galaxy far, far away. He said that when his feet were on this earth and he, he prayed that prayer and he taught us to pray the prayer. Not only that, he he. he he, him, he taught us to pray this, but he, he himself prayed this prayer in his darkest moment of his life. You see, I don't know if you know this about Jesus, but when he walked this earth, he was fully God, but he was also fully human. He had needs just like you and I did. He needed food and water. He needed sleep. He had emotional needs. He needed companionship. So when he went through his darkest hour, he needed his, his, his boys to get around him so that he can be encouraged and be sympathized with. Like, man, I understand what you're, but they're like, they couldn't even stay awake. And so he calls them together in his darkest hour, uh, just like you and I would, because the temptation for Jesus in that moment was real. It was real, just like the difficulties you face are real. The, the, the difficulties and the temptation 
uh, to not do what God wanted him to do was very, very real. That's why the writer of Hebrews, he says, one of the reasons why we can run to Jesus with confidence that we're going to a throne of grace and mercy because he sympathizes with every pain, with every problem, with every temptation. He felt it, he experienced it. But not only that, and this is not to diminish your pain, but the pain that he experienced, the temptation he experienced was beyond what any human being has ever experience. He was, he was asked to do something, to, to take something, to drink something uh, in this cup that would represent the collective nightmares of the world. Anything that you would say is corrupt and wrong about this world, evil about this world, was in this cup, past, present, and future. All the hatred, all the murder, all the racism, all the idolatry was in this cup. And it was a cup he was to drink for you and me. And the temptation was real. The temptation for him was to escape this, to leave this, to not go to the cross, uh, to not take on this judgment, but no less than the salvation of the world. Your salvation and my salvation were hanging in the balance and the temptation was real. And in that context, he prayed the prayer, not my will, but your will be done. So there's a few, there's four things about this prayer. I want you to know, number one, number one, it's important to see this It'll help you with the rest, is that this was an honest prayer. It was an honest prayer. Notice first that he prays this. He says, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I think what he's doing here, he's giving us permission uh, to be honest in our prayers. You see, there are times when God asks us to participate in his perfect will. There are things that God has commanded us to do in the Bible that we find difficult, hard, if not impossible to do. And God in the flesh, Jesus demonstrates that it's okay to pray to the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. God, I don't want to go through this financial struggle. God, I don't want to go through this relational struggle. I don't want to suffer physically. I don't want my kids to suffer physically. There are times, not though in God's perfect will, hear this, in God's permissive will in this fallen world that God will allow hardship to come our way. And he asks us to walk through that hardship and trust him in that hardship. But it's okay for us when that happens to say, God, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that pain. I don't want my family to go through that pain. It's all right for you to be honest how, we, how you feel about being in God's will in that moment. It means that when you're praying for someone who's struggling especially if that person's me, is that you don't have to pray, oh God, you know, like, you know, if it be your will and, you know, if you, if you, uh, you know, like, you know, help him have wisdom in this time and help him to trust you more. Man, don't pray that. If I'm struggling, don't pray that prayer for me. I want you to pray, if it possible, get rid of this cup. Get rid of this. I, get rid of his pain. Get rid of his struggle. Get rid of that. Sometimes we're caught in the middle, man, do I have sympathy for my friend or do I pray for God's will? I don't know what God's will because God's will be that he goes through it or God's will be nice. Here's the thing, you don't know. It's okay that you don't know. You don't have to know. Our first line of defense, the first ammunition we've been given by God is to pray, let this cup pass from me. So pray that. When you're praying for someone who's hurting and suffering, don't, don't just pray, God, let this cup pass. It's okay to be honest. Whatever you're feeling for them, to sympathize with them. And if you're in that struggle, Jesus says it's okay to let this cup pass for me. And, and the, the struggle that your friend is going through or you're going through is real. And the struggle for Jesus is real. It was very real. In fact, it's important to understand how real it is. So we'll spend a little time here. In verse 37, he says that he began to feel sorrowful and troubled. Uh, that word sorrowful means to be in agony. He was in agony. And, and that word troubled means to be horrified or shocked. Something came down on him 
that, that shocked him. In fact, his commentary um, was that it was so severe, so horrifying, so overwhelming that he felt like he was going to die. Now, if you don't know if you read much about what Jesus said, but he didn't exaggerate ever. This wasn't hyperbole. This wasn't like, hey, I'm so hungry, I'm gonna eat a horse. This was like, no, he, he felt like he could die. That's how he felt. He felt as though he was beginning to die in that moment. Have you ever been, and it, and it horrified him, it shocked him. I don't know if you've, have you ever been in a situation that was so agonizing and so troubling that, that it shocked you, like it really shocked you and you actually began to feel like the ground underneath you was moving. This is how Jesus felt. I mean, he physically stumbled. He was disoriented. He was bewildered by this. Now, why was Jesus shocked? I mean, this is God in the flesh. Did he not know this was coming? I mean, there's only like 100, 200 prophecies about his death. And he himself, if you read through the Gospels, if you're familiar with the Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the accounts of his life, multiple times, he would say, hey, guys, I just want you to know I'm going to die. I want you to know I'm going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And in fact, on the third day, I'm going to be raised. So he knows very much about his death. So it wasn't like he's just like, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you know he gets, oh my goodness, you know, this is for real. Like, I, you know, I, was, I, I kind of thought it might happen, but I didn't know it was written. No, he was, not, he was not bewildered or shocked by the idea that he was going to die. That's, so, so what was it? Well, he says, it's, it was the cup. The cup. What's the cup? Well, in ancient times, the cup referred to judgment and suffering. If you remember how Socrates uh, was sentenced to, de- uh, to die, he was forced to drink uh, poison. He was given the cup because the cup was a metaphor of suffering and judgment. If you read about the judicial justified wrath of God toward human evil, in the Old Testament through the prophets, they talk about the cup. One example of many is in Jeremiah 25. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, said to me, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So this is, my, my, the nations are evil and I'm, I wanna pour out my wrath and they're gonna drink this cup, my justified judicial wrath toward human Sin. And then he goes on to say this, they shall drink it and stagger and be crazed. In the garden, Jesus staggered and was crazed. He was bewildered because the judicial wrath of God is beginning to come down on him. He was beginning to experience what he would experience fully on the cross, the full abandonment of the Father, the full rejection of the Father, God fully withdrawing his presence in a way that nobody has experienced this side of hell. He was beginning to taste the judgment of the wrath of God for the sin of the entire world. Now, a bit of a side note, but an important one. Let me just address the implications here because I know that many would balk at the idea uh, at the wrath of God. Like they would balk even even at the idea of that, even the concept of of punishment, even the idea of hell. Or, you know, someone is saying, you know, I believe in a God, a loving God, a God... Uh, who doesn't judge. Well, the Bible teaches, and I want to hang with me. I want to say something that might help you. Uh, The Bible teaches that God does punish evil. He punishes sin. He has wrath toward sin, not just sin, but those sin people who sin. 
He, his, his wrath is being poured on the nations, on people, on people who sin. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible also teaches that all of that wrath that God has and all of the sin that people committed, that on the cross, Jesus, Jesus absorbed that wrath for us. And so in places like 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that he who knew no sin, that is Jesus, became our sin. So he became um, on the cross. He became a murderer, a, a racist, um, um, a, a rapist. He became a liar, a thief. He became all of that on the cross. All of the wrath that God has towards sin, his judicial justified wrath was poured out on Jesus. Now, okay, I want to encourage you with something. It may challenge you, but I think it'll encourage you. If you don't believe in a God who punishes evil, but also is willing to absorb that punishment, you have a God who loves you that didn't cost him anything. And if you have a God, if you have a God or anyone who, who, whose love doesn't cost you anything, you don't have someone who loves you. You, have, you don't have a God of love. You have a God of sentimentality. However, somewhat paradoxically, the more you understand the wrath of God, the more you'll understand the love of God. However horrible his wrath is towards sin, so I think however horrible his wrath is the nature of his love. In fact, his love is greater because it's swallowed up in his love. In other words, the more angry your God is towards sin, the more he loves you. If If you just think God is just a little bit angry, a little bit offended, then he loves you just a little bit. But a God that you're willing to accept that has full anger and intense anger toward evil because he, because he absorbed it on your behalf is the degree to which he loves you. So in other words, if you take away a God of judgment, you take away a God of love. And, and in some sense, I trust this is common sense. I mean, you think about the great love songs. There's a song, it's been in my head for 25 years. I, I think about it like every four days. And I don't know why, it's a song by the Proclaimers. Um, a song that you could barely understand the lyrics is, is I would walk 500 miles <laughs> and I would walk 500 mo- more. So we're at 1,000. I would walk 1,000 miles just to be the man at your door. And that sells. <laughs> it sells. You know, what, you know what love song doesn't sell? Baby, if your house is on the way and it's convenient and won't make me late for what I really need to do, I will show up at your door. I mean, even Lizzo uh, is willing to stand out in the rain and get her hair pressed again for you to be her main. Like if you, he'll leave, she'll leave. So every love song that sells communicates the cost to which I have to endure to love you. You know that in any human relationship. So why would you, why in the world would you ever want a God who loves you with a love that didn't cost him anything? But here's what happened. Well, here's what Jesus did. He loves you with a love that is so deep and is so rich. It cost him more than anybody has ever paid in human history. Your sin is more grotesque than you could ever imagine, but so is his love for you. Your sin is such that he had to die for you. He had to die for me, but he 
loves us so much that he was willing to die in our place. So don't let the wrath of God push you away. That's just a surface, shallow understanding of love, not to mention a shallow understanding of what's really going on. Because the wrath of God points you just how deep his love is for you. And it's this wrath that he begins to experience. That's why he's experiencing the shock and the horror of it. It's almost like in the garden, you know, the, the, the father gave him like a little trailer of like what you're, he's going to experience. Here's the cup you're going to experience. Here's the torment you will endure. And there's no other way. It's either you or them. Is your love such that you're willing to go on? Is your trust in me, he says, are you willing to go on? The temptation for Jesus to leave was real. It was so, so real. Just like the temptation is for you and me, just like the temptation is for Adam in his garden. See, one of the things the Bible talks about, the Bible talks about that Jesus was the second Adam. So the first Adam is our representative, our federal head, and, and what he did fell upon us, namely our sin. Her sin came to us because he made the decision for all of us. The first Adam was put into, into the garden and God asked him, hey, obey me about a tree, a tree of knowledge. And if you obey me about this tree, you'll live forever and I'll be with you. What did Adam do? He didn't obey and neither do we. But the second Adam, Jesus was put into a garden. God said to this Adam the same thing, obey me about a tree, except this is a tree of judgment and suffering. And if you obey me, you will die. You'll be crushed and abandoned like no one has ever been abandoned. And the first Adam was asked to obey unto life and God would be with them. The second Adam was asked to obey unto death and banishment beyond any other human being. The first Adam obeyed. The second one did not. The first Adam excuse me, the first Adam didn't obey, the second one did. The first Adam said, my will be done. Wow, that changes things. Okay. Um, it's what happened. You know, I, my, my, my brain is going wild because I had a little piece of bread earlier and it's just like going, causing me to go crazy. Um, the first Adam said, my will be done. And that's what we pray. We pray, my will be done. My will be done. The second one prayed. Thy will be done, which means it is an, Jesus prayed an honest prayer. He did pray, I want this cup to pass from me, but it quickly went from an honest prayer to a surrendered prayer. Not my will, but thy will. And when Jesus hung on the cross, there were those who mocked him and said, look, he could save others, but he can't save himself. And they meant that as an accusation of his weakness. But on the contrary, it pointed to his strength and a choice that he made in the garden on behalf of you and I. It's because he didn't save himself that he could save others. That's what he was doing. Don't miss this, but in this prayer, Jesus exchanged, and this is what you and I need to do. He exchanges the I for thy and the me for thee. He was putting into practice what he has taught us all along in the Lord's Prayer. Pray, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. This is the total opposite of how you and I pray. You and I, we, we pray most of the time. We pray my will be done. Here's my plan. Here's the path that I want. I want you to move heaven and earth so I can get it. I mean, if you were being really honest for a second and you were to think about all the prayers you prayed in 2019, let me ask you a question. Who would be better off? 
That's not how Jesus prays. Jesus didn't pray for him to be better off. He prayed, not my will, but that he's a prayer of surrender. Is a radical, dangerous, scary prayer. And he was able to pray that because it was also a prayer of trust. See, he prayed, my father. In the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's Abba. It's, it's this very intimate word, daddy, papa. He had this intimate relationship. Uh, and he was able to pray this prayer because of the trust he had in the father. In other words, his confidence wasn't in the path in front of him. It was the person in front of him. See, you and I, we often like, hey, God, show me your path. Show me the path I'm to take, and then I'll come behind and trust. That's not how it works. Jesus looked at, the Father showed him the path, and the path led to the cross. It led to more suffering than anyone's ever experienced in the entire world. But his trust was not in the path. His trust was in the person, just like it needs to be for you and I. And that's kind of the big picture of our prayer and fasting is that we want to learn to pray not our agenda, but his agenda. We want to pray thy will be done because that's true. If you, if you pray this prayer, you are praying, you, you're, you're, you're getting on a path that leads to the cross. If we pray thy will be done, you're praying death to my agenda, death to my desires, death to my preferences, death to the path that I've chosen because I believe not in the path in front of me, but the person in front of me. And I believe he knows better than I do. So it's an honest prayer. It's a surrendered prayer. It's a trusting prayer. And it's a, it's a repetitious prayer. It's a prayer of repetition. He prayed it three times. We read it twice, but he read it actually three times in a short time span. And he taught us to pray it daily. He in fact, he even says this in, in Luke 9. He says, he said, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself or herself and take up his cross. What's that word? Daily. daily. Something we, we, we don't pray, want, we pray daily and follow him. When you, when you become a Christian, you prayed a version of this prayer, thy will be done. When you became a Christian, you prayed, God, I'm a, ter- you, I'm a terrible leader of my life. I need you to save me from the mess I've gotten myself into. And I need you to save me from my past, but I also need you to lead you. I need you to lead me in my present and in my future. Not my will. My will leads me in the ditch. I want your will. Your will leads me to green pastures. Your will leads me to still waters. I want, I want your will. And we pray this prayer when we come to Christ. We all prayed a version of this. It may not have been the exact word. We all pray. Then we just keep praying that. Paul said this in uh, Colossians 2. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, just as you've come to Christ, just keep doing that day after day after day. You came to him and said, in the beginning, I'm a terrible leader of my life. Save me. Lead me. Not my will, but thy will. And you pray that every single day. There was a moment in college where I prayed this prayer in March of 98. I've been praying my will be done. You know, I was praying, I wanted the job I wanted. I wanted the lifestyle I wanted. I wanted the future. What, what I, I wanted the future I wanted, which, in case you're curious, isn't the future I have now. There was a moment for me, seemingly out of the blue, that God came and it was like his presence overpowered me. And I prayed, thy will be done. And then I graduated college a couple months later. And I wanted a job that was either in Dallas or Denver or, um, you know, somewhere west. I just wanted to go west. And, um, and, but in fact, the better jobs were west. It wasn't just that I wanted to live in the west. I didn't want to go back to St. Louis. And, and, um, but I just, I remember 
um, I remember praying. It's kind of vague to me at the time, but just I remember praying, okay, I don't want to do what I want to do. I want to do what you want to do. And God led me to St. Louis, which is what I never would have chosen but he had something in mind that I didn't have in mind and something he wanted me to do that I didn't think I wanted to do. And my wife and I keep praying this prayer over and over. We pray it all the time. We pray, how, how are we going to do our, do our time? How are we going to parent? How are we going to spend our money? All these things are not our will. But you're, when, we, when we've, we've moved in different places and we moved into the city in 2007, we fell in love with the city, especially my wife. She's, if you don't know, she's cool and artsy. I'm the... I'm the doofus. And so she, and she, and, uh, and she loved the city. And she's like, when I remember, I remember she, she's, I don't want to move to the bird. I don't want to move there. We had, to, we were starting a new location out in, in Kirkwood. She didn't want to move there. She's like, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. I, I don't want to eat at Red Lobster. I don't want that for my life. I want to eat at restaurants that are like, it's the only restaurant that exists that's like that one. That's where she wants to eat. She wants to see new people. She wants to see different things. Uh, anyway, so she prayed not, she, I, she literally, I don't want to do this. She straight up told me, I don't want to do this. She told God, I don't want to do this. But we prayed together and she prayed the sincere heart. It's not my will. It's your will. It's a prayer we pray over and over again. When God tells us to forgive someone, when we don't want to forgive, we want to cling to unforgiveness as a way of protecting us from getting hurt again. God, if it be possible, may this cup pass me. I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to forgive her. But then we pause, and in a moment of surrender, we pray, but not my will, but thy will. When God asks us to turn down a job that perhaps is our dream job, but it's not his dream job for us. Say, God, will you allow me to do this? But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. When God asks us to leave a relationship that's not honoring to him, we may in honesty say, God, I want this. Will you please make this work out? But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. If we want to leave a relationship that God wants us to stay in, Say, God, is it, if it be possible, give me a way out. But nevertheless, n- not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I want, but I want what you want. When we experience a path of pain, many of you know uh, that last Super Bowl Sunday, uh, my mom was hit suddenly with something called GBS Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's a rare syndrome that attacks the nervous system within 48 hours. She was paralyzed from the neck down in an intense pain on life support, not able to talk, utter agony. And it got pretty dark. And I know that she prayed, as we all did, made this cut pass for me. I mean, that's what we were praying. Guys, make this pass, make this pass, make this pass, make this pass. I want out, I want the pain to go. I want my ability to move, to come back. But then she prayed, but not as I will, but as you will. And because she was able to pray in her darkest moment, she enabled her to say with sincerity, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice rejoice in it. Regardless if I feel pain or uh, I'm pain-free, regardless if I can walk or I can't walk, regardless if I can talk or I can't talk. And every single time we pray this prayer, we're declaring our trust. 
and a good God, a God who did allow Jesus to go to the cross, who did allow Jesus to go to the cross, but then resurrected him on the third day. And he gave him a name that's above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Some of you may be familiar with the, the Sanazeros, Scott and Ellie Sanazero. Uh, they've been in our church uh, for a while, and uh, she actually was on staff for a season in serving our, our J kids. And um, she's also involved in the youth. I remember she. I remember the day when she, because she, she would spend time with Ella, our oldest, and she came over. And I remember the day that she told us in tears uh, that they just got news that their uh, firstborn. Uh, it was a little girl, Rosalie. They already named, she named Rosalie like when she's 13. I mean, she's a planner. Like she's that kind of a person. She, she knew at 13 what her firstborn is. Anyway, um, so she, she knew little Rosalie. Rosalie had a, a chromosomal disorder. 99.9% chance developmental disorders. And she prayed and we prayed with her. May this, if it be possible, may this cup pass. May, may this child, may Rosalie be born with a typical number of chromosomes. And, but they eventually got to the place where they realized that this was a reality for them. They said, okay, but not our will, but your will, oh God. And little Rosalie was born into everyone's shock. God answered the prayer for that cup to be passed and she was born with the typical number of chromosomes and no disorders whatsoever. And we all rejoiced. And she prayed, and Scott prayed, a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, God. And in her words, you gave me a normal child. And in that moment, God got a hold of her heart. And God got a hold for two things. One, she gave her, she gave her heart to to uh, start a new ministry that is beginning to happen called J Friends that would serve the needs of those uh, of parents and children with special needs and uh, sensory issues. And not only that, they put it deep within their heart. They, they adopted little Finn last October who was born with a chromosomal abnormality who does have Down syndrome. And Finn was God's plan for them all along. They just didn't know it. It's a, it's, a, it's a plan that God had for them that they never thought they, they could happen or would want to happen, but God changed that. And here's what's true. When we declare our trust, God puts us in alignment with his perfect will and his permissive will and causes us to go places that we never would have chosen to go. And he does things in and through us that we'd never been able to do had we not prayed that prayer. And Scott and Ellie are living a life with Finn and like the, the meaning that's bursting in their life is beyond what they could ever imagine. And how God is using their life is incredible. And here's what's true about you, is that unless you pray this prayer, unless you pray not my will, but thy will, you'll never ever understand what God has for you. You'll miss out on so much of life because you think that your track and your life and your agenda, even in your own wisdom, you think that this is the right plan, but God has something better. God has something 
bigger. I mean, we, we build actually our whole church life around. That's why we do the growth tracks. There's a purpose and a plan that God has for us that's beyond what we think it is. And to pray this prayer is scary. It's dangerous. It's to look into the abyss. It's to look into certain death. To maybe pray honestly, God, I don't want this. But to have the surrendered heart and the trust in a person and not a path, not, not my will, but thy will be done. And I promise you, God will take you places that you never could have gone. God will do things in and through you that you could have never happened, nor would you have wanted them to happen. But God has a way of changing both the way of your life and the will of your life when you submit to him.